customer experience is your brand. All about the interaction that a customers customer are not just customers that can the be kind of experience you give to people. Customers. That's what they're going. Amazon through. wants you to buy something. A warranty company wants their contractors. Customer to experience, you know, it really is how your brand gets projected out in, into the world. Business is not just business; it's very human. Hello there, ladies and gents. This is Todd Stewart, and welcome back to another episode of In The Know, a dispatch-powered podcast dedicated to highlighting the individuals and companies who know how to create memorable, long-lasting customer experiences. It's my job today to dissect and understand how Jamie Smith, the Senior Vice President and CIO at ServiceMaster, a Fortune 1000 company, thinks and approaches customer experience. So who is Jamie? Well, Jamie was named the Senior Vice President and Chief information officer in 2015. As CIO, Smith is driving ServiceMaster's IT strategy, services and operations, and aggressively delivering innovative and transformational solutions to enhance the experience for customers, employees, and franchise owners. In today's discussion, we'll cover a handful of fascinating topics. How does ServiceMaster measure customer feedback? How do they make behavior systematic? And how are they involving technology in creating memorable customer experiences? So as always, grab a pen, grab some paper, and please enjoy this excellent customer-focused conversation with the one and only Jamie Smith. Awesome. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of In The Know. We have a super exciting guest today. We have Jamie Smith, the CIO of ServiceMaster. Jamie, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Welcome. So we have a lot to cover today. Uh, we're going to be talking data. We're going to be talking hackathons, measuring feedback, anthropology, believe it or not. Um, but b- before we really dive into all of that, I- I'd like to start off the show with a segment I like to call Super Tools. So this is where I ask our uh, our guests, what are tools that you use on a day-to-day basis that uh, really help streamline your work? I think somebody in your position, this is going to be interesting to see, you know, what what you have to say? So, what are um what are some tools you can't live without? Yeah, I, I think the first one, and, and it's interesting. It kind of happened organically. Uh, is Slack. So, all of our teams, from the business users to the developers, um, essentially everyone. It's almost their I'll call it nexus of communication. So, every everything from you know gamers among us channel where people talk video games to showing the status of builds, being able to open tickets. Um, there's actually a Chuck Norris bot, which uh, tells Chuck Norris jokes on demand uh, in there. But but it, it's inter- it's, a, it's a great way for um, me, anyway, to feel kind of the pulse of the teams and see what's going on, see if there are any issues and, and you know, r- really feel tuned in without having to bother people So um, and, and not be disruptive to the process. So it's, it's been a great uh, a great tool for us to stay connected across geographies, across time, and everybody from you know, the infrastructure users, the developers, the business users are all, all on the same page because of what is really a very simple tool. Uh, so we use Slack too, and I love it. But I got to know, what's what's the most recent Chuck Norris joke? Uh, I just saw one. Hang on, let me pull up in the channel. It said, uh, Chuck Norris crossed the road. Uh, no one has ever dared question his motives. So it was kind of a <laughs> why did Chuck Norris cross the road joke, apparently. But, uh, that's uh, great. So not all of them are hits, I will say. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's kind of hit or miss when you're dealing with the Chuck Norris bot. But uh, the, the team loves it. And, and um, you know, I, I think the other the other kind of killer feature of Slack for us is just how easy it is to integrate things. So mm-hmm. 
we've integrated everything from our monitoring to our ticketing system to you know our Jenkins builds. Um, you, you, you can get a, a tremendous amount of information without ever leaving that user interface. What is typically on, on like a two-week calendar for you? I think it's always good to get a sense of like what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, yeah, it's, all, it's always exciting. I actually just got back from our board meeting in Phoenix um, and you know, was able to discuss some of the things we're doing there. Um, I, I also oversee and, and have been working on um, a couple of investments that we're taking and we're doing some corporate venturing to stay ahead of innovation. Uh, we're opening an innovation center. So I was just down to tour that and show uh, some of the city officials kind of what's going on there because we're actually opening it up to non-service master entrepreneurs as well. Um, and, and then everything to kind of the, I'll call it the, the day-to-day business of, of IT and, and making sure that, uh, you know, the teams are, are making progress, see what I can do to help them, um, you know, working with the, the key business unit presidents and leaders to make sure that we're making the amount of progress that we should be in certain areas. And so it's, it's great. I mean, there's definitely um, never the same day twice. Uh, and, you know, one of the, one of the things that led me to Service Master is just to, in terms of how integrated IT is into pushing the innovation agenda here. Um, you know, I've been in other places where, you know, it's kind of like you guys just sit in the corner, don't break anything and save us money um, from an <laughs> IT perspective. And, and here, you know, we're really looking from a technology because we, we realize technology is going to drive this company. Um, and so we're an active part of, of pushing kind of the customer experience forward, which is really fulfilling. Great. Well, I have some tech questions later on, so we'll get to those. Uh, but for all the listeners out there, if you could just give a quick little pitch of really what Service Master is, I explained it up at the top of the show, but I think it'd be useful coming from you. Yeah, Service Master is actually uh, an 87 year old carpet cleaning company. Actually, we started out in moth proofing. So, you know, I, I always say nothing says innovation like carpet cleaning, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, we, we've grown out of that and, and really invented uh, one of the first. Uh, inventors of franchising um, and 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 then you know added businesses that you've heard of like Terminex, American Home Shield, which is our home warranty division. Both those are over a billion dollars in annual revenue. Um, Service Master Restore, who are the heroes that come in when when you have a flood or a major disaster and kind of put your life back together. Mary Maids, Maris Beck, and Furniture Medic. Um, we, we like to say that we, you know, put a truck in a driveway seventy five thousand times every single day, mm-hmm. uh, and and with that scale. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, uh, if even a couple of percentage points of those don't go well, uh, we need to be able to intervene very quickly. And so our, our job is really to um, kind of provide what we call essential home services and and uh, make sure that we're doing that in a consistent way that leads to a great outcome for the customer. So you have a lot of moving pieces. You have a lot of different customers. How do you guys think about customer experience? I think like with the size that you guys are, um, it, it's it becomes extremely important. And and I want to know like take me inside your mind for for how you think about that. Yeah. So um, you know for for us, interestingly, we we think about kind of two key pieces of the customer experience. One is the actual experience of the end customer. The other is we realize that the last mile of, of customer experience for us are the people that are actually delivering the experience, the service providers that are out there in the home. And so a key part of making the customer experience great is making the service provider experience equally awesome. Um, but, but you know, we kind of think through what we call the easies. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of easy to learn, easy to buy, easy to be served, 
or receive service, easy to be a customer, um, easy to pay and easy to stay. So all, all throughout that entire journey and life cycle, um, you know, trying to remove friction everywhere that we can um, and, and make sure that the experience we're focusing on kind of what I call the magic moments or the moments that matter mm-hmm. uh, in that journey and making those as good. Uh, there's a, you know, there, there's a great uh, kind of academic theory called peak in theory and customer experience. What that means is you, you remember an experience by how it was at its peak of intensity. So in its most intense moment and then how it ends. And so we like to focus on, you know, as, as we're looking at kind of our strategic investment portfolio around customer experience, let's make sure that we're, you know, we're putting our next best dollar to the one that's going to make a difference in those areas. Uh, we, we mapped out the customer journeys for all of our brands. And so kind of from, from you know, beginning to end, um, what does that journey look like? What are the touch points? Um, you know, what are the activities or tasks that are happening in there? What are the interactions with the service provider? And then we took a lot of data uh, throughout that part of the journey, whether that's survey data, other pieces of feedback um, that, that basically showed us where we were doing well um, and where we were doing not so well in some cases. And then also what we called the magnitude of each of those moments. Um, and so the ones that are bigger in circles on our map are the ones that are much more important. We wanted to make sure we weren't spending a lot of time and effort winning something that was just, even if it was great, was just going to be kind of a meh moment, like we, you didn't really care. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that that's really how we've kind of, we've helped to visualize the customer experience, but then also really understood um, the places that we need to focus on to make it better. At what point in your career and that, you know, in service master's life, do you think that customer experience started to become important? Like it, you guys are checking off all the boxes. You have, you know, the easy moments, the mindset, you have the the customer journey, the profiles. And then, you know, it, it seems like it's it's part of your DNA. Was it always like that? Um, you know, it was, I, but I will tell you the, I'll call it the kind of the practice of customer experience and truly... Um, focusing on making it repeatable, especially in the servicing aspect of that, really has emerged in the last three to four years here at ServiceMaster. Um, and so, you know, while we, while it was inherent to everything we did, this is a people business, and and most of our customers, and and you know, when you look at them, are kind of recurring customers. So we want to keep them as long as we can. Um, when we peeled it back, you know, we we've always been a great selling organization. Um, and, and realized that we needed to focus more on the servicing component. Um, and that that led us down the path of the types of things you're talking about, of you know t- trying to focus on that customer journey and, and what was important. And, and then figuring out, okay, how do we bake it into people's mindset on an everyday basis? So mm-hmm. how do we make it systemic, the fact that we're thinking from the outside in uh, when it's so easy sometimes to think from the inside out? Um, and that's everything from you know, what type of terminology we use, you know, when, when you come to the Terminex site, we still want you to understand that, you know, is, is a bed, oh, a bed bug's not really a pest. It's something else. And a termite is a term. Like we, we try to think in our own terminology and when really all the customers like, Hey, I see a bug, I have a problem. I want it fixed. Mm-hmm. And so just, just trying to weave that mindset throughout has been um, kind of a cultural part of this journey as well. But, you know, I, I would say it's been a, a pretty rapid evolution over the last three to four years. Can you give me an example of how you've shifted that mindset to think on outside in, so how the customers are thinking, therefore that can sort of dictate some of your changes versus, you know, the inside out? Like, like what's an example of that? Um, you know, so and maybe the outcome is the same, but a simple example is, 
you know, we, we've also adapted, I'll call it kind of a lean startup mindset here where for the things we do, we have a benefits hypothesis. And, and early on, um, a lot of the benefits hypothesis that we're rolling in, we're really thinking about why it was good for service master first and foremost. So for example, you know, just at a very high level, self-service, self-service is good for service master because we reduce inbound calls. Mm-hmm. But guess what? You know, thinking about it differently, the types of things that we're doing now are really that, that customer never had to interrupt their life and place a call to us and, you know, sit on hold if, if there was a hold time and, and have to explain their situation to someone on the phone. Avoiding that by making a good outcome earlier in the process um, and thinking about that from the customer's perspective on back. And guess what? Yes, it also happens to be more efficient for service master to, to service if that phone call never comes in. But, you know, really it's the, it's the orientation and thinking about it from the customer's perspective first and then leading into that. And so our general hierarchy when we look at benefits hypothesis are uh, customer benefits first, service provider benefits second, and then service master provider, you know, or service master benefits kind of third and, and really thinking about it in, in that same priority. So, so it's, it's putting the customer in the middle. Yeah, I mean, the service provider for us, so it's it's interesting. When you look across our businesses, we, we say we go to market in three different ways. So um, Terminex, for example, they are our own technicians. So they are Terminex employees, everybody out in the field. Um, whereas American Home Shield has 40,000 um, independent technicians uh, that, that are, you know, working on a network basis. So we'll assign them work. We'll curate the journey and try to, you know, ensure the outcome. But they're not, they're not American Home Shield employees. Um, and then Mary Maids and the other franchise brands, those are franchisee employees, so not direct employees. And so, um, you know, when we say service provider, we're, we're trying to be kind of all encompassing to those three very different scenarios in terms of, you know, where your where your locus of control is in, in terms of that. How do you implement technology to help out with the customer experience? You have a lot going on. You being the CIO, I'm sure there's there's some tech that that's helping you guys out. Yes, well, and, and you know, I think it's it's not a recent development. I mean, if you look back across Service Master's history, we've always tried to apply the tools of the day to function at scale. And so, you know, when when it was you know from binders to training people how to clean a hospital properly and doing all that. So we've always and, and the technology of today is mobile. Right. So it's mobile both for our customers and our service providers mm-hmm. um, and put it, putting those tools in their hands from a technology um, is great. But I think where we see the most impact is leveraging that technology to ensure the be- types of behaviors that provide the best outcomes. And so making sure that, you know, we can curate the journey um, from beginning to end, because if something goes off the rails, we want to see it very quickly intervene. Um, intervene immediately and and fix the issue and 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 kind of get it back on track. And so that's where technology has really helped is giving us the visibility throughout the throughout the customer journey of what's actually happening. Um, you know, we used to say, you know, in the in the old days in in Home Shield, it was it was kind of a dispatch and hope mentality. Meaning we'd send out work to one of the contractors, um, and then kind of the spaceship would go behind the moon. And we'd lose communication. And then one or two things would happen when it came out the other side. We'd either get invoice from the contractor saying the work was done or an angry customer calling us saying that it hadn't been, you know, it hadn't been fixed or fixed to their satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we've tried to do is um, allow technology to shine a light 
and, and avoid that gap so that we can see, hey, did the person actually show up on time at the house? If they had to order parts, did you get tracking information? Did they communicate things? Um, because when you have something like a water heater out or an air conditioner out and you're sitting in a hot home, um, you know, minutes and hours matter to get that back up and running. And so technology gives us the insight that we didn't used to have in that. And, and it's simple things, you know, it's, it's um, some of the geofencing that we're doing on the mobile tools. We can tell where people are. Um, it's leveraging those tools for customer engagement. You can immediately, you know, text back and forth versus the phone tree that you used to have to do where it was like, okay, I call into Home Shield. They call the dispatcher. They try to find the guy who was actually working under a sink somewhere. He calls back, you know, and it was, it was this this long kind of lag process where if you can text and immediately um, engage, it's much faster. Um, and, and then, you know, finally, I think it's um, leveraging the data at scale to see what makes a, a um, customer experience better. It's almost taking the, the, the money ball approach through big data mm-hmm. and figuring out, you know, through, through, the, through the patterns that we see, um, you know, what, what are those things that matter and how do we focus on getting a part there in shorter time, even if it's a bit more expensive. You know, so some, some of those pieces to really know how can we kind of ensure that consistency. Technology and data are going to be a big help there. I want to backtrack a little bit. You said something interesting about how technology is allowing you to, to sort of shine that light on the dark side of the moon. What are the data points that are important for you that are that are helping you achieve that that better and that great customer experience that, that you guys are known for? Yeah, so it, it varies a little bit across the various business units. So one of the things we found that was very critical with Home Shield was the time from when we assign you a contractor until that first appointment set. Because until that appointment set, you don't have anything real as a customer. So, um, you know, as an example, you know, we, we leverage a, a handheld app. And as soon as the appointment set, the contractor actually makes a note, it goes back into our system. If we don't see that set in, a, in, in you know, a short enough amount of time, we actually reach out to the contractor and the customer and make sure that that happens. Oh, you, you guys do. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. So, we yeah, we don't. It's, it's not, you know, I think. We like to say that we try to curate that journey, although we're not the ultimate provider, we're still responsible for the outcome. Um, you know, another another really good example is, you know, we've implemented the the, the one to five star um, Uber-like survey immediately when the technician leaves the home. So for Terminex, if we get, you know, a one or two star and, and a lot of times even a three star, we will reach out immediately to the customer and try to figure out what happened. Um, and, you know, in that case, we find that, again, the time from the time that, that they submit the review till we reach out. So it shouldn't be 24 hours. It's got to be almost immediately because you can still save that experience while the technician's there mm-hmm. and or we have somebody that we can, you know, we can make their day go better. And so, you know, th- those are probably a couple key areas. But then down to even um, when the technicians arrive at the house, you know, that, that arrival is geofenced and stamped so that we can see that in real time. So we can see throughout the day if somebody's running behind. Um, because if you're waiting at home for someone, you've taken off work, you want to have that conversation, whatever's happening, being on time is really critical as well. Mm-hmm. So leveraging the, leveraging the tools, um, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a simple tool, they're iPhones for our service providers in general, um, and, and leveraging that geofencing so that we can intervene if somebody's running late and try to work it out. And, and you know, so none of it's complicated when you look at each individual block. But kind of taken as at a, as a whole from end to end, and then taken at the scale that we operate at, it becomes really powerful stuff. You did mention uh, the fact that you guys are collecting a lot of data, 
at what point does this data then become predictive? Because I can see a situation that you have you know, great performance data on your technicians, and then all of a sudden you say, all right, we have enough here. We can actually start finding some trends and start predicting some, some outcomes before they happen to then also help out with the customer experience. So um, we're doing that already uh, around you know, what kind of, what's the difference between a good experience and bad experience? So we are, we are leveraging the data for that. I think what's really exciting to me though, is um, as we get to kind of the, the world of smart home and connected home and some of that, where predictive becomes important is if we can predict in advance because you have a Nest and a Nest thermostat and it shows us that your air conditioner isn't cooling as well as it used to. Um, if we can send somebody out before you're sitting in that hot house, um, it does two things. One, that, that's a great outcome for the customer. They never have to have that inconvenience and, and you know, their, their whole family sitting and sweating and, uh, in, in, you know, 100 degree heat in Texas. But also it shifts us into more of a proactive mindset in terms of how, you know, how we play a role in their life. Right now, a lot of our, a lot of our functionality is really reactive, meaning we go out when something breaks. When you see a bug, we're out there. Although Terminex does a great job of keeping the bugs away. But in general, the mindset is you see a problem, call us, we'll fix it, or reach out to us through technology and we'll fix it. Um, but it shifts us into kind of being the person who keeps the bad things from happening. Um, and, and that's something that really excites me. We're, we're working with companies that, um, that are making a lot of sensors to kind of light up the dark assets in the home um, so that we can see if the airflow through your you know, return air isn't what it used to be, something's wrong, you know, and kind of predict it. But then applying machine learning and big data to those trends, because the worst thing we could do is annoy you with a lot of things that really aren't going to break or don't matter, those false positives. Um, and so we want to make sure that when we sound the alarm bell, it's really something that matters as well. So there's a lot of artificial intelligence work uh, going on in that space too here. Boy, that could help out in Boston. When the cold, when the cold winter comes, you can help prevent a, a broken boiler before it actually breaks. Yes, yes. Although, you know, it's funny. It takes a very special skill set to repair those boilers. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, no, it's, and, and, you know, that's important. The other one that's, that's really important is um, if you can get to uh, a leak in a pan of a water heater before it bursts in an attic and ruins your wood floor and you have to move out all those things. So, you know, we're looking at water sensors and a lot of things. I mean, I think, I think the challenge with all that is it sounds great. But until we have kind of achieved that critical mass of the number of devices connected and people that have it and, and whatever, um, you know, it won't touch a huge percentage of our customers. So we're looking at ways to accelerate that as well. Is the IoT, is that something that gets you really pumped up in the morning? Like like the future of the IoT? It is. Um, you know, the it's, it's kind of been the next big thing for the last decade in some ways, although we've changed what we've called it in smart home and IoT. And but you know we're we're already leveraging IoT. We have a very you know we have nine thousand vehicles out on the road. We have a connected mm -hmm. fleet. Um, you know we're leveraging sensors and and I mentioned even the phone. I consider that almost a thing anymore of what we're doing. And so you know we're we're starting some of that. I think that shift into that proactive mindset for me makes it really exciting. Just because we play a bigger part of our customer's life. I talked about kind of that that rest state of being a customer, easy to be. Um, the average uh, home warranty customer opens two and a half roughly uh, service requests a year. Mm -hmm. If you're only thinking about us two and a half times a year, then we're not, we're not a huge part of your life. We're not that engaged with you as a customer. 
Um, whereas if we're kind of seen as the people that are monitoring your life, that, that's a that's a 365 kind of engagement. That's why it gets me so excited, I think, for us to be a bigger part of their lives. Between all of your brands, does the importance and the meaning of customer experience, does that vary or is it pretty much the same across the board? So we there's definitely a common thread um, to customer experience. And that, that, that common thread are things like, you know, did you show up on time? Did you actually complete the work that you said you were going to complete? Did you, you know, was it easy to pay? Was it, was it, you know, was it a fair price? Um, did you treat my home with respect? I mean, we're going into the most intimate part of people's lives, their home. So, so those, regardless of brand, um, are very, very important. But I think what, what changes, well, one thing that changes is what you show up with in your hand, right? So whether it's a broom or a wrench or, you know, a spray wand for bugs, um, you know, whatever that is. But on the experience side, you know, some of our businesses like Service Master Restore, um, you know, where if you if you have, you know, 200 gallons a minute of sewage flowing into your house because there's a flood, um, time is much more important in that case than, you know, although if my wife sees a snake, time is very important as well for Terminex. But <laughs> kind, of, kind of the factor of that experience is, is very different. And then also some of those were it, it's a bit more of an indirect relationship. Um, so meaning, you know, service master stores generally dispatched a lot of times through the insurance company. So we have another player in that, that we have to think about their experience as well. Um, but then, you know, one, one of the interesting things we found when we did the journey mapping was, um, Mary maids is an interesting case in that, um, we found that it's very important for us to learn over several cleanings, um, your preferences. So I, I don't want the figurines dusted. Don't use any waxy residue on the table, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever your individual cleaning preferences are so that if you make it to 10 cleanings with Mary maids, um, you become a very, very sticky customer because they've already learned enough about you that it's like, okay, I don't have to chase them around anymore and make sure they're doing it properly. Yeah. Um, where that, where that's not always the case with, you know, a home shield where, Hopefully your you know HVAC doesn't break ten times and and we're out there fixing that. So th there are some differences. Um, they're more similar than they are different. I think the differences are nuanced, um, but they're important to each of those as well. With, with all the feedback that you're collecting, so for the example of like Marymaids, and then you actually understand after collecting all the feedback, you understand you know what areas of the house to clean. Uh, how do you actually go about collecting all of it? Is it through survey data, in person, phone call? What does that look so, like? Currently, it's, it, it is a mix, right? So we, um, and, and we've started looking at, you know, across all the places where we take customer feedback, whether it is a survey, is it passive feedback that they gave us while we were doing it? Um, and, and I wish I could tell you that we had those integrated neatly into some um, master customer preference center. That's not going to happen until kind of, kind of late this year, early next year. Um, and right now, though, you know, they, they have a variety of tools across the brands where they collect and catalog that. Mm -hmm. um, our, our, our goal as we as we mature in that space is, you know, you have a you have a service provider that's kind of rolling up on your doorstep to give them all the information that they need to know about you, whether you have pets and don't leave the door open, whatever that is, the, the, the important pieces of information make that so that they can see that immediately just to ensure that consistency. Um, as of right now, it's it, there, there are still some silos of that data. Um, and, and, you know, the worst thing that you can do is ask for feedback, have someone take the time to give it and not respond to it. So, you know, the, the thing that we're, we're trying to avoid as well is feedback that's interesting, but not actionable, right? So it, it'd be, yeah, it's interesting for me to know, you know, something about how you felt our website was and, you know, the color palette, whatever. But if I'm not going to do anything differently based off of that, then, then don't bother asking, right? So we're mm -hmm. trying to hone in on kind of those critical few. 
um, places that we we need feedback to understand how the experience is going and or make it better and the things we're going to take action on. Otherwise, don't bother asking. And so there's a lot of work right now going on internally around that. When you're collecting all of that feedback, how do you make sure it gets into the right hands? I think it's, it is it is important that you have actionable feedback, uh, but then I, I think sort of the next step is getting it into the right department so that the decisions can be made to sort of alleviate whether it's negative feedback or, or help out if it's positive feedback. Yeah, so um, we're actually implementing what we call the customer closed loop tool. And some of our, um, Terminex is an early adopter of that where generally the, the place that you want to fix um, most of these issues is closer to where the work is done, right? So, um, you know, closer to that, that last mile of service is still that provider in the field. So you want to push it down to someone who can actually fix the problem. Um, in the case of Terminex, you know, where when some things come in, and I mentioned kind of the one or two star, whether it be an MPS rating or that um, post-service rating, um, those immediately go out to the branch technicians or the branch managers um, who try to determine right now, and it's, it's still a human to read some of these things, we do some sentiment analysis, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of times you get very few words in those three star, those those one and two star feedback, <laughs> and so sentiment analysis is hard. Um, but a, but a human to intervene, um, make sure that they're closing the loop, document the the resolution so that we can kind of show that, and then we have a you know we have a, a follow up mechanism later to see how effective that intervention was, um, and that's great for survey data. I think the 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 kind of secret sauce for us is. As we start to integrate, you know, social media feedback is a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, how do we make sure we're serving the silent majority who doesn't give us feedback in those tools? How do we how do we use the big data we talked about earlier to see if they're you know if they're a churn risk or if their experience didn't go well? Because the last thing we want is someone to not give us feedback and then just cancel their, their service. And so um, you know, more work to come on that. You know, I think the first part is just getting getting the incidents and, and the interventions out to where someone can actually do something with them. A lot of times we kind of over-index on solving problems from what I call intergalactic headquarters uh, here in here in Memphis. I like and, I like that term. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, and and really trying to to kind of push things out much closer to where the work is done because ultimately that's where the service is going to be delivered. When you collect feedback, uh, I could imagine sometimes you know you might have a, a negative customer experience. But I can see times where that technology that you were talking about, getting real-time data, real-time feedback, can help you intervene. Uh, how has that technology helped you sort of turn somebody that could potentially have a you know, negative customer experience into somebody who's going to be a promoter for you guys? Yeah, I mean, great example. And you kind of mentioned real-time, which is a pretty important piece of this as well. So great example on, on the Terminex side, because we're, we are intervening so quickly when we see a one or two star rating. And, and if it's something like, hey, the guy didn't show up or they failed to do this, a lot of times we can, you know, we can get somebody out there while the customer is still there, either within their window or before they have to you know, leave the home and fix the issue. That's not something we could have ever done in the past because it takes a lot of pieces. We have to understand where all of our technicians are on a map, right? On demand, dispatch somebody with a skill set to go in and fix that problem and then be able to respond to it quickly. And so um, speed, speed, speed is very critical in how we can intervene. Um, And, you know, if we're taking 24 hours to intervene on a social media post or whatever that is, that's just way too long. People have moved on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the first thing we find is, you know, be, you know, kind of be there, be useful, be quick. Those are Google's kind of tenets of their micro moments. 
And for us, it's exactly the same, you know, just responding, first of all, quickly, customers are almost surprised when they're like, oh, hey, somebody was listening. I thought this just went to the dead letter office, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that first piece of responding, but then using the technology to do all those things I mentioned to get the right person with the right skill set back to, fi- to fix the problem. That's, that's kind of where the magic comes in. Now talk to me about your hackathons. I, I would love to know how you guys use this event to help you get closer to the customer. Yeah, the, ha- the hackathon was an interesting thing that we started. I think we're on, this is our fifth one coming up and it's coming up uh, actually in two weeks. Uh, and, and so it started out as a very small uh, American Home Shield only thing where it's like, hey, what if we just gave, you know, got a bunch of smart people in a room, gave them a whole day to think about customer problems, work together with people that could, um, build solutions and see what what comes out of it. And out of our very first one, um, we took a lot of existing technology we had um, and and basically recombined it to be our very first uh, online self service application for Home Shield, where you know, it was even built on top of our IVR APIs and things that we already had. But put that together, so within about five clicks, without even logging in, um, just you know you identify yourself. You can go through identify what the issue is hit a button, boom, somebody's going to get dispatched and out to your house. That was built in in a single day. Um, it took about two weeks to kind of harden it and get all the security pieces in place and and get it in production. Wow. Um, but, but, you know, the the energy that came out of that showed that if you just, you know, took people out of the day-to-day and gave them time to focus on the customer and solving customer problems, um, you know, that, that they can accomplish amazing things. And so that that's evolved to be a... Um, a service master wide process now. Um, we do one roughly every 20 weeks because um, they're they're big events. They're all day um, and and into the wee hours. Where, but the, the time leading up to it's interesting as well because we almost do like a, a Shark Tank, where anybody can. We're, we're crowdsourcing ideas from um, any of our associates in the business um, can submit through Slack, um, and as they submit, uh, teams will gravitate and kind of vote on the ideas that that, that they're most enthusiastic about oh, that's great. and they'll form and, and they self-organize a team to actually participate in the hackathon with, you know, everybody from a UX expert to a business person to testing people um, and build something within that single day. And so over the last couple also, as we've matured our own APIs and our microservices architecture, we found that what they can build in that single day is much more impressive. And so I think in the last one um, in a single day, they built a Mary Maid's Amazon dash button. And that Amazon dash button actually um, was like basically an electronic uh, gift card where you had prepaid cleanings. You see your house is you know, dirty, you hit the button, um, it fires into the APIs, gets your customer preferences, understands how many cleanings you have left, um, sends you a scheduling request through a text message, you accept it uh, or and or change it and boom, book it. And you know, next thing you know, you don't have a dirty house anymore. That's so cool. Um, and and yeah, that so was cool. that under one day was it, or was that a day and then launched you know, shortly after that? Yeah, so it's funny. We built it in a day. Um, we're still working on the launch of that one, not from a technology perspective, just lighting up, you know, all of the <laughs> all of the bits and pieces. But um, yeah, just to show what we could do there was amazing. You know, we did roll out a lot of um, kind of uh, I'll call them single use discounting. A lot of really cool. We did a Identipest um, application where you take a picture of a bug 
and you know it would try to identify the bug for you. <laughs> That's great. One of the things we found was the AI wasn't quite ready yet, so it was identifying ants as lobsters, and you know, so it was it wasn't it wasn't quite accurate enough yet, but. You know, as these progress, the AI is getting so much better. And so we're seeing the evolution of this as well. But, you know, I think bigger than some of the very specific technical solutions that come out of it, there's um, what I call a halo effect. And, and that halo effect is you put people in a room that have nothing to do but focus on a very specific customer um, problem. They get out of their day-to-day life. They work with people they don't normally work with across various business units. Um, and, and so it kind of that that halo and the energy and excitement lasts for weeks after these hackathons where, you know, even if we don't get something rolled out from that specific hackathon, those connections that they make and the, and the things that they've thought of, um, you know, kind of last and, and they outlast that single day. And so it's, it's been a, a really big part of kind of building our culture of innovation here and showing that, you know, you can dare great things and, and you know, look for that kind of 10x or moonshot type thing and, and get the time to work on it. And if it starts to pan out, man, we'll, we'll try to get into production as quickly as we can. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a- anybody can come up with a great idea. And uh, I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories similar to this. Uh, one company, they had a day once a year called the FedEx day, you know, <laughs> no trademark or anything. The slogan was deliver an idea within 24 hours. And everybody stopped doing what they were doing, you know, on a day-to-day basis and just focused on something creative. It, the, the task was create something that's going to help out our company. And, and it could be anything, like absolutely anything. And they ended up getting some great ideas. And one of the ideas actually turned into a huge revenue generator for them. Uh, and, and it was all because they just took 24 hours and they said, work on something that you're passionate about. And who knows, like anybody can come up with a great idea. And I think that's a, an incredible way of staying innovative and staying really true to what you said earlier in the show about having that, that sort of lean mindset, that lean startup. Yes. Yeah. And we want, you know, we want to make sure too, that, you know, that the hackathon, we want to make sure it's not just this kind of innovation theater, right. Where you're focusing on the ceremony and, and, you know, all the other pieces that we expect real things to come out of this and, and, and real solutions. And, and um, I, I think the teams respond to that, that, you know, it feels much more meaty to them than knowing that their, their great idea could be the next one that's out there. So, so talk to me also about the anthropologist that's on staff. So not only do you guys have, have hackathons, but you have a unique position. Uh, talk to me about that. Yeah, so um, kind of part of our journey from starting out in user experience and then evolving into a true customer experience practice, one of the things that we almost accidentally um, arrived at was having an, an anthropologist on staff. And so his role is really... Um, to, to kind of help us see beyond just the specific things that customers ask for, um, very observational-based um, learnings, not not things like you know big focus groups and whatever. Although we still do some of those, it, it's it's kind of I'll call it watching the customer in their native environment. Um, you know, I, I love the quote from Henry Ford, although he didn't actually ever say it, but it, it's it's too good not to repeat. Is you know, if I would ask people what they wanted, they would have said they wanted a faster horse. <laughs> um, and so, if we're only looking at feedback and not not looking at the broader picture and kind of anticipating and sensing customer needs, um, you know, then then we're only going to build exactly what they ask for. And so, his position is really to um, help us ask the questions and and um, provide insight into customers that they may not even know to ask themselves. Um, and so, and then also I think having a very strong research bias and a scientific method and things like that, that we, we have to up our game across the board, 
um, in, in kind of how we do our research and our customer feedback and, and, you know, it keeps all of us honest. Um, we're actually, um, sponsoring a fellowship at a local university, university of Memphis here, um, around kind of home services and ethnography and innovation, mm-hmm. um, where we're, where we're going to sponsor a, a graduate student and a course around kind of how we've applied anthropology to the home services experience, which oh, is wow. going to be really interesting. That's, so. that's very cool. So final two questions. What role does the CIO play in the company's overall customer experience? Like for other CIOs that are listening to this episode, like what, what sort of advice would you have for them? Um, yeah, I guess kind of thinking back to where we started this journey, uh, we, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time worrying about, you know, does, does customer experience belong with the chief marketing officer? Does it belong with it? Where we, we just knew we had to start. Right. So the first, the first piece of advice is, you know, don't, don't get too wound around the axle in terms of, you know, where on the Visio chart, this thing is going to live. Um, but really the, the most important thing that you can do is just start. Um, and, and then, you know, it's kind of broadening that to, to make customer experience central to everything you do, whether it's technology or not. So, you know, regardless of if something requires, uh, you know, a technology solution out of my team, my customer experience team is there helping ensure a good outcome. Um, and so, you know, that, that's what I would say is just, you know, try to, try to peel off, start small, but the most important thing is start. No, I I love that because as you have heard in the earlier episode with Lindsay Christensen from TetraScience, she says the exact same thing. It's like for companies who are looking to sort of start this customer experience or start measuring it or give somebody the responsibilities, it's just, it's just starting. And then it's figuring out from there. Like you don't have to create this very complicated structure. It's just starting as a company. Um, so yeah, no, I, that, that just totally reiterates and, and I love it. Um, final question. So I like to end the show with a segment called if I only knew. And so this is for a chance for you to look back at your career and say, you know, what was sort of a, a customer experience mentality or a project that I worked on that gave me great return? Uh, what is something that, that you wish you knew earlier on as that sort of, if I only knew moment? Uh, yeah, that's a big question. So, you know, in, in my experience, it's kind of the, the difference between uh, something that's complicated and, and something that's complex. And and what I mean by that is complicated is, you know, kind of the the land of the expert, if you will. And, and I, I, I spent some time in manufacturing. And if you got all the right experts together and you could tweak a manufacturing line uh, in a way that you know would increase output here, where's the constraint, kind of the, the whole theory of constraints and, and work that through. Um, complex. Uh, it is like the weather, uh, you know, with things like the butterfly effect. And there's so many factors that even if you had all the information, you couldn't predict it. Um, and with customer experience, you often live in a world that's complex because it relies upon the motivations, behaviors, outcomes of people. And in our case, it relies on kind of a bi-directional, um, you know, kind of exchange of those motivations and behaviors uh, because of the fact that it's both the service provider and the customer. And so what, what that translated into in our case was um, we rolled out a new online scheduling tool uh, for American Home Shield. And it was going to allow you to uh, book with some of our partners, um, our, our major partners that repair uh, appliances in real time, right when you submitted it, 
um, you could get your appointment slot and and go. You wouldn't have to wait for somebody to call you. Um, you could set up your calendar immediately. And our, and our goal and our benefits hypothesis was that customers wouldn't have to then place a call to us to set up an appointment or place a call to that. We would get it done more quickly. Um, what we saw almost immediately when we rolled it out was um, more calls were coming into the call center. And in doing the root cause of that, we found that on average, uh, you know, they were about seven days out for availability between these two. And so immediately when the customers saw that, they're like, hmm, I can probably get a better deal by calling in, right? Mm -hmm. So they immediately picked up the phone, called in, um, and and found out, unfortunately, the answer was the same. That was industry average when it was there. Um, so we rolled out some messaging that said, hey, this is the first available appointment, um, you know, whatever else was there. And then immediately saw that, you know, the, the calls died down and and we had the anticipated outcome, happier customers and, and fewer calls into the call center. But, you know, I think in hindsight, um, you know, we thought we knew all the answers when we rolled that out, but what we couldn't predict was customer behavior. And so yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, you have to experiment your way through these things. Um, and a lot of times the, the bets that we place on the hypothesis are going to be wrong. But even when they're wrong, you're more informed when you come out the other end, right? Exactly. You know something we didn't know either about your customer, your product, whatever. So don't be afraid to, to have those little misses. Make them little misses and be able to churn through it very quickly. True or false with this statement, uh, companies that prioritize customer experience are going to win in 2017 and on. Uh, true. And, and in fact, there's a lot of research that correlates um, how closely people are really aligned around customer experience to things like earnings per share and, you know, multiples, multiple growth from a, if you're a publicly traded company. So, you know, when, when you're thinking about this, and, and I, I, again, I just mentioned that I got back from the board meeting, when you're talking to a board, um, you know, ultimately their, their goal is to add shareholder value. And, you know, my, my argument is and demonstrated over and over um, there's nothing, especially in a services-oriented business like this, that can add shareholder value more quickly than focusing on customer experience. And so it is a it is a differentiator. Um, I also think that some of the things that we're putting in place are just going to be table stakes. So meaning, um, you know, the expectations of the customer are moving, and they're not moving because of things that Service Master is doing. They're moving because of things that Airbnb is doing and Amazon and, you know, Uber and some of the other other companies that are kind of, you know, leading and these disruptive experiences. And if we don't do enough to even to stay ahead, we're going to lose. So part of it's an offensive play to help us win. And part of it's frankly a defensive play um, to keep us from being disrupted. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jamie, thanks for coming on the show today. This was an excellent conversation. Uh, to, to everybody listening, you can find out more about everything we discussed on the Dispatch blog. That is blog.dispatch.me. You'll also find all the links uh, to Service Master, to Jamie, to really everything we discussed. Those will be in the show notes. Again, Jamie, thanks for coming on the show today. This was great. All right. Thank you. If you want to learn more about customer experience, head over to the Dispatch blog, that is blog.dispatch.me. Remember to subscribe to In The Know on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And if you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. As always, thanks for joining, and we'll see you next episode.